You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Casey. Hi, Casey. Hi, everybody. All right. So today we're going to get into a really big topic that we love talking about, gradual release of responsibility. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But first, we have a review to read from one of our amazing listeners. So Ms. Mazur's Explorers calls her review, Love the Metacognition. Thank you for bringing up the ideas for sharing how the brain works with learners. Great book suggestions. There is a method in the ESL world for multilingual learners back in the day called C-A-L-L-A, Cognitive Academic Language Learning Approach that was really successful with my English learners in upper elementary grades. Metacognitive strategies were a big part of that work awesome episode. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Mazur's Explorers. We really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to leave us a review and some feedback on the podcast. And you too, my friends, can be featured on our podcast if you would like. Just uh, leave us a review and on the Together in Literacy podcast, wherever you may listen, and we will feature you. So thank you so much. I love hearing all the reviews. So I know awesome. we do. We <laughs> really, really appreciate that. All right, everybody. So Casey, what are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this one because I think this episode is really going to talk a lot about the framework that we use within our sessions and it and how it um, goes along with the principles of Orton Gillingham. So today we're going to be talking about the gradual release of responsibility framework. It's one of the most powerful approaches that we can use when teaching struggling readers. It's also referred to often as the I do, we do, you do model. You may have heard it used that way. And really it's essential for struggling readers as it sets them up for success through that explicit instruction and that immediate corrective feedback. Um, An explicit instruction makes lessons clearer to students by teaching skills in a sequential way, modeling what is needed and providing ample practice. And before the show, I was telling Emily a little bit about my husband. We've been married for 22 years now. And and for the longest time, I joked that he was my tech guy because I would truly ask him all the time to come fix my computer and help me with the printer. And he would, because my frustration levels would get really high and he would just come and he would help me figure it out. And so now over time, I've realized that I've stopped even trying to 
figure it out on my own. And I would just ask him much more quickly than I probably needed to for his help. So one day he was really frustrated that he had already told me multiple times how to figure out a problem with the computer. And he kept asking me how it was that I didn't know how to do it yet. He'd already told me so many times. And because I know myself as a learner, I explained that I needed him to show me and then walk me through it and then let me do it on my own while he watched me. And then I'd probably be able to figure it out. And this was the only way that I knew I was going to actually learn it. And knowing that about myself helped me express to him what it was that I needed as a learner, you know, that I really do need the I do, we do, you do model. (laughs) And so as an educator, I know what works for students and I'm happy to say it works for myself too, because I no longer need him to help me out as much as my tech guy. And I haven't asked him for quite some time now, so but you know, the real question was why did it take me so long to speak up for what I knew I needed to learn it? And I think, you know, first off, it was just much easier for both he and I to just let him fix it. It was quicker. It didn't require any effort on my part and it was done. So I could just move on to what it was that I really wanted to do. Secondly, it released his level of frustration as my teacher to do, um, to just do it. And then when he he had clearly explained it to me previously, and he could understand why I was still confused, it was just easier for him to do it. And so this was kind of that pattern that we had fallen into. Um, When it came to technology, I was quick to call on him to fix it. And he really didn't want to have to explain it to me once again. So it made me kind of think back to classrooms and our students, right? And that this is the same pattern that we may fall into with our students. We've already explained it. How do they not get it right? Oh my goodness, I need to move on. Just let me do it because time's always pinching in our Mm. classrooms, right? Mm. And I've been there as a teacher, right? I felt the same pressure of the clock and the mass amount of curriculum that needs to be covered. But the reality is, is that at some point it all comes toppling down because the foundational understanding isn't there. So when we use the gradual release of responsibility framework and that explicit model framework, it is going, we're going to be able to see as teachers where the breakdown and understanding is actually occurring and then scaffold or reteach to students to help move them to independent practice. So, yes. Yes. (laughs) And we fully support gradual release of responsibility, not only for classroom use, but, and for our struggling reuse, this, this is just good teaching for, for everybody. I would love to use the gradual release of responsibility to help my husband be able to locate things better <laughs> in my house. And you know what, even when you're thinking about your own kids, like for instance, helping them learn how to tie their shoes, boy, oh boy, that really takes, well, first of all, like boatloads of patience. Um, (laughs) but it really supports that model as well. The I do it, we do it, you do it. That is relatable to me right now because my five-year-old is definitely in the throes of trying to learn how to tie his shoes. And my one piece of advice is we don't work on shoelace tying when we're rushing off to school. (laughs) That is really not a good time. (laughs) Okay. And we talk about This model really supports our Orton-Gillingham principles very, very well. And we've talked a lot about the Orton-Gillingham principles in our previous episodes. So be sure to check those out, episodes five and six, on um, how they supported uh, Orton's prescription. And we always discuss how we 
provide direct and explicit instruction to our students. And it's very um, sequential and follows a progression and it's emotionally sound. So when people think about explicit teaching, I think that there is just some, a bit of negative connotation around that, especially for Casey and I, when we were in our college years, there was so much push for uh, the constructivist model. Mm -hmm. And how this was really the way that we should be through inquiry-based instruction and letting children construct their own knowledge. But as we dig deeper into the cognitive science, that really is not how we learn best. Through an explicit instructional model, we are actually taking into account a few things, the students' needs, their performance, uh, what we know how they learn, and that takes a lot of time and practice mm -hmm. as teachers to really get to that point, and the skills that we as educators know that the students need to know in order to become more successful. And when we are able to really take all of that into account, that is actually more not teacher-centered, contrary to what some people may say, but that we can recall as really focusing on the student or being student-centered. And through that, through that gradual release, we can really work on lessening that cognitive overload that happens. And what we know when students are overloaded, that leads to really some inefficient learning, it leads to some error making, it also leads to really frustrated learners. And that's not emotionally sound in where, when we're putting it under the lens of social emotional learning and what works best specifically for our Orton-Gillingham principles. So those are some just, I wanna sort of put those considerations in place before we start diving into the specific stages of the gradual release. So, when we talk about the release, we talk about, and as Casey said, the I do it, then we do it, and then you do it. And this really supports the way the brain learns best. So we start in I do it with the stating, and, and we're going, by the way, to sort of put this under the scope of an Orton-Gillingham lesson plan. So we'll try to be um, working in some examples of that because mm -hmm. as we know, this instructional approach could work in any subject area, but just since we're talking about Orton-Gillingham a lot, we're, all, we're going to be able to give you some, some of those examples. When I do it, we're at the beginning of our Orton-Gillingham lesson plan. We're going to state for our students our goal, our purpose right away. And say, okay, today we are working on this. Well, last time we worked on this particular skill. Today we're going to work on this. You may even have a visual for that. We are going to be really, really clear and consistent in any kind of modeling or demonstrating. And the nice part about all of that is we are going to be really employing the use of our own metacognition. And that is through describing our thought process through think alouds. Mm -hmm. So for instance, if I am breaking a word down by syllables, if I'm gonna break it and I'm going to mark those vowels, there are very specific steps for marking and labeling 
and the different syllables. And there's a very structured approach to that. So, and it helps students to be metacognitive in that way, because what's the goal here? We're trying to help them become better decoders. So uh, that is just one example. Casey, anything else we want to think of an example in that I do it stage when we're really clear and consistent? I think that, you know, for that, the I do stage is really where as instructors, we're modeling that skill or concept. And it really makes me think back. I often, you know, will ask my students questions about what's working and what's not. And when I've asked them to reflect on classes, either with myself or just in their general schooling, what are those classes where you feel the most successful? It usually circles back to two things. It circles back to number one, that teachers, they feel that teachers understand them and hold them accountable. Mm. And number two, that teachers take the time to show them exactly what they mean or want from an assignment. And really they're explaining this gradual release of responsibility, right? So we're in, in connection to that social emotional learning, right? To be, they feel that they want to, you know, that they feel understood and also that, that their teachers are expecting things from them. We want to be a champion for our students where we want to have high expectations for them, but we want to provide them with the necessary tools in order to be successful. Um, And so it's really interesting to me that students are able to express that to me. Yeah, you know, and I think with that comes just a level of security when -hmm. teachers are able to provide those things, students feel more secure within the beginning stages of that lesson, especially when we have students who are historically easily frustrated by new content, when things, when all learning feels hard, particularly for people with dyslexia, when the shutdown period is quicker (laughs) because this is just the way they cope. But when we are very purposeful from the get-go, right out of the gate and very, very clear in what we're doing and bringing this, bring this feeling of purpose. I think we are really creating a safe learning space. Yeah. So that I do portion is really teacher driven, teacher modeling in a way that is setting students up for success. Mm -hmm. And then from, from there, we move into the, we do, which is, you know, you have, the guidance of the teacher, the instructor, and their students are working on then applying or transferring that concept or skill, the strategy, your new learning. And so this is where, as the educator, we ha- we're asking questions, we are being mindful of what the students are able to do, and we're guiding them as needed. That is such an important part for our our teachers to be able to, to understand that, you know, first we have this, I do, and then we have this, we do. And then here as educators, we may need to add in or scaffold more direct assistance. If we note that they are struggling or there's a misunderstanding that's occurring. So then you kind of can make sure that you're going back to that. I do, and then back to the, we do so that you're providing that assistance as needed so that there can be that shift that occurs between those two stages as you're going through your lessons. And the nice part about in the we do section is we can have 
prompts in a variety of ways. I love because when we are in our Orton Gillingham lessons, we try to have some active learning in there so we can have physical prompts. Like when we're talking about the meanings of a particular term, say like a digraph, we may have a physical way to explain that. Or we can have posters or just you know, just little uh, mini file folders opened up with little prompts, anything. But I think the, the biggest and most powerful part of that we do section is being able to provide that corrective feedback. That immediate corrective feedback is a key principle within Orton Gillingham. And I, I agree with you, Emily, that that is where that learning takes place because we are right away catching errors, making corrections, um, to help students move their learning forward. So that, that immediate corrective feedback, I think is, is a key component within the we do portion. Yep. And you know, it takes, I think a lot of practice for teachers to learn the right questions to be asking in that we do stage. Like, well, why do you think we need to divide here? Why did we have to drop the E before adding the suffix? Or why yeah. did we have to double that final consonant before adding the suffix? It, you know, probing them in a way that is getting them to use their metacognition. So in, in the I do stage, the teacher was really modeling that, but now we're shifting to help them use their metacognition. And um, we've done a great episode of metacognition. So make sure you check yeah. that one. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, talking, I think when people talk about immediate corrective feedback, they may misinterpret that and think that it just means telling the child or, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. But that's right. Not what it is. What Emily, you know, explained is what it is. It's, it's leading the child to understand what needs to be corrected, but in a way that's still explicit. So you're still tying it back to what you model during that explicit instruction. Right. And, you know, we can get into some of the ways that we can be some of the considerations in the, we do it in a, in a few minutes, but we really love that within the Orton Gillingham principles, we have the freedom of being flexible. So we'll yeah. talk a little bit more about that in, a, in, in just a few minutes. But uh, as we get into the big stage where we ultimately want students to be, that is the you do it. Yes. So we've laid this the groundwork. We've built the scaffold. We've walked them through the process we've asked them their you know prompts we've given them reminders we've given immediate corrective feedback and now this is where the rubber meets, meets the road this is where okay you're taking all that knowledge and let's see how you can apply it and in this particular task that you're given right it's not really just about like having the student, you know, just all of a sudden working alone. It's really right. about them applying their thinking and using those metacognitive skills to be able to transfer that knowledge that was imparted on them and be able to put it into practice. Um, right. And I think one of the most powerful ways we can see the you do it in the Orton Gillingham lesson is the portion of dictation. Yeah. This is where we really see, and this is powerful kid watching. We are watching them go through the steps that we have taken the time to explicitly model and teach. And now yeah. is the chance for them to demonstrate their knowledge. And this isn't just about the child showing you. 
they're doing it for themselves. Right. And, and the I do portion is also where they're going to start to take what they've learned and apply it to new learning. So it's, you know, we talked about that in our last episode that we want students to be able to transfer that knowledge when we talk, when we talked about decodable books, and that's something that falls within this framework as well. When we get to the, I do, that's what's happening. They are bridging their knowledge to practice and being able to apply those new concepts to new words that they haven't seen before or new. Absolutely. Yes. If you miss the decoding episode, that was episode eight. And yes, that what an awesome example of the, I do it right. We're really able to put some context into what they have learned and practiced with you. And yes, absolutely. Some of the considerations. And I know Casey helps a lot of uh, newly trained Orton-Gillingham people. So we just wanted to bring a few things up that kind of come up, I think, and it takes time to develop. Some of the things might be spending too much time in the I do it stage yeah, because we so, so want our kids to be successful, right? We really want to see that success. And of certainly that that is commendable, but should we stay in the, I do it stage? No. (laughs) Right. And, and, you know, I think that that happens for different reasons. I think as educators are learning about, um, Martin Gillingham principles and they're learning about the science of reading, they're putting these things into, into play in their classrooms and in their tutoring sessions, they're new learners too. So they are, kind of in the you do stage of their own graduate release. And so they're not yet at a point where they can step back and realize, oh, I'm, I'm doing all the work. So, um, I was telling Emily, I had, I was working with an adult who is going through a practicum and this was, this was her aha, because I, I was asking her, you know, how can we monitor the amount of time that you're spent in the I do versus the time that the students spent in the we do and you do portion. And we need to make sure that we're mindful of that as educators. And at first we want to, of course, we want students to feel successful. And I think that was the first response. Well, I don't want to frustrate my student, but if we're being explicit in our instruction, that's where that immediate corrective feedback comes in. And we have to get students to bridge their practice or their knowledge to practice. If we're not providing them with ample opportunities to do so, and we're the ones doing the majority of the work, it's not going to transfer. So we have to be mindful of that as educators, that we're making sure that we are releasing the responsibility to the students in a way that is scaffolded and sets them up for success, but we still have to have to do it. (laughs) And you know what, if you're feeling like you need you know, multiple opportunities to model in that I do it stage. Try to keep in mind that if you've matched the lesson well to where the student is in their learning, then they are ready. And what I mean by that is you really have to look back at the previous lessons and the student performance in there to know that, okay, what I'm getting into this particular lesson on, you know, AI hey, what have been the prerequisites? They've been able to 
you know, learn this. They know what a bowel team is and, and, and all that. So it's all about always looking back, always looking ahead a little bit too. And yeah. that, you know, as Casey mentioned, she works with some of these newer students and they're in, the, they're, in, they're trying to do the, you do it part and mm-hmm. she's, and she's helping them get there. And this takes a, a heck of a lot of time to learn how to be prescriptive and diagnostic. So if you are newly trained in Gillingham, please just trust the process, but also listen to those supervisors, <laughs> but also really be mindful of where you were in prior lessons with your students as you're getting ready to move forward that, you know, feel good about the work that they've done before so that they are, you know, okay, we're ready. We are ready for them to move in and get a little more independent. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, that made me think of one of my favorite quotes by Anita Archer, who is oh, yeah. the, like guru guru of explicit <laughs> instruction. <laughs> right, um, right. But, you know, she says that how well we teach equals how well they learn. And yeah. for me, that's something I go back to often. If I have a student and they're struggling with the concept and I've taught it, it means that I need to reflect on my, what I what I did, like what strategy I used, what Mm -hmm. approach I used, and then come up with something different because it wasn't working. And that's not on this child. That's on, on me to be reflective in my practice and to be prescriptive. So, yeah. And I know when those early supervisional stages, when we're getting supervised, there's so much reflection going on then. Like what worked, what didn't, and you know what? Even to this day, I always, and I think that's one of the things I love about Orton Gillingham is I'm constantly reflecting like, okay, that didn't work so well. <laughs> why did that, why yeah. didn't it? And what can I do better next time? And that's okay. You. Yes. Right. And that's actually one of my favorites too. So yeah. if we're thinking about that gradual release of responsibility, right? So we have the I do, the teacher explicitly models and teaches maybe through informing, explaining, modeling, direct teaching. Then we move to the we do, the guided practice with the students where you're going to provide that immediate and corrective feedback. And then we move to the you do, that independent application and practice. And as a teacher, you're going to be monitoring and clarifying and reteaching. So it's just this beautiful framework for us to put into our into our lessons. Right. And we had talked about how we love the freedom of being flexible and part of being or Gillingham trained one of our principals is knowing that we should and we can be flexible so Casey and I say we love our students to know that hey is this working out hmm. no so hmm, let's try it this way instead we have multiple ways of presenting information uh, to a student when we know okay this method isn't quite working this way let's try it this way or this manipulative yeah. didn't quite work with this student. So let's try this instead. Absolutely. I, I love it when my students will tell me that. And at first, when, when they meet with me, I'm like, okay, if, it, if it's not making sense or you don't, you know, you, this right. isn't working for you, tell me. And they look at me like, what? <laughs> but yeah. after yeah. they get that trust and they understand, oh, she actually means it. I tell them like, if this doesn't make sense to you, I have three to five other ways I can do the same concept. So, and that comes with time, as Emily said, Emily and I've been doing this a long time. What I have found, and maybe we can talk more about this in another episode, but I have some, I've created tubs and in my tubs are only my tried and trues. Right. No work for me. And then I get rid of everything else. So I think 
yeah. knowing, knowing that and having those strategies available, but really helping your children understand and being metacognitive so they can think about their learning. So mm -hmm. all of these pieces tie together. And I think that's why when we talked about the Orrin Gillingham principles and being sound and knowing that really Dr. Orton, he talked about having this social emotional component with the academic piece. So yeah. we love, together. we absolutely love when our students can come right out and just say, if, if we ask them, you get your card and they just say, not really. We, yeah. we really so respect and applaud that courage to be able to say that because yeah. that's a big step for them. So mm -hmm. I think one, and then just, we were talking about spending too much time on the, I do it, but also knowing when it's appropriate in the, we do it phase and it may happen in the, you do it phase, mm -hmm. but knowing when it's okay to backtrack because sure we're talking about moving through sort of like this progression of the i do what we do it you will do it but you know what there's times and casey and i were talking about this earlier that we have to go back and, and really that is part of the you do like it's not yeah. just a okay guys see you later go do right. your work it really is where as as a an educator, you are monitoring and clarifying and then doing reteaching as needed. So it's, you're not ever fully out of it. It's never a full release, it, but it's where now we've shifted over the, the amount of application is done by the child at the U. Yes. Yes. Excellent. So we hope that going through gradual release with you is going to sort of get you to be a bit more reflective, mm -hmm. thinking about how the importance of it and what should happen at each phase of that, certainly check out Explicit Instruction by Anita Archer. Mm -hmm. If you'd like to learn a little bit more, and once again, we had mentioned she's really the guru of this. We're gonna do a future episode on how direct instruction really can support SEL or social emotional learning. And yeah. um, we'll dive a little more deeply into that coming up. And in another episode we have coming up soon, we'll be having a guest with us, I won't say who, on talking all about working memory. And that was an exciting question that had come from a listener with some things they were wondering about. So we're looking forward to those things. So we'll be wrapping this up, but definitely check the show notes and we can put in any links that we may have on helpful tips for gradual release. Also the link to Anita Archer's book, if you haven't had a chance to pick that up. And that's really going to help people who just are teaching any subject area. Yeah. Not just Orton Gillingham. And, so and that's the thing too. Yeah. That this, yeah. this framework is used for every yeah. subject. So. Yeah. I know Anita goes into talking about even, you know, math, math instruction. It works for lots of things. <laughs> All right. So we did have a question as we are ending uh, episode nine. We got a question about Orton Gillingham training. Now we know, all right, we're not really talking about social emotional learning right now, but as two Orton Gillingham trained people, we get a late, we get this question a lot. So you know what? Thought, why not just talk about a little bit on the on the show? So this person wanted to know about just um, choosing Orton Gillingham training and really the best pathway. So before we get into that, we're not going to give you names of specific training associations that you should go to, but I would like to just make a few distinctions. First of all, there's more than one. 
Lord yeah. Gillingham training organization out there. And so remember, you know, as we talked about in our first, I don't remember one of the first episodes, <laughs> one of them, <laughs> you know, Orton Gillingham is an approach. So mm. know that when you're choosing which one you want to do. So the, the listener had said, you know, that she's a K1 teacher for almost 30 years. She discovered her podcast and she's loving it, but she um, has wanting, she's wanting to become an Orton Gillingham trained. She wants to become Orton Gillingham trained, but she's not really sure where to look. And so, you know, as Emily and I are talking about, there are a lot of different places you can go for Orton Gillingham training. Um, and again, it is an approach. One of the things that I know Emily and I both agree upon is that if it was us, we would definitely look for a program that includes supervised practicums. Yes, ma'am. Um, <laughs> I think yes. that is such an important piece. You are paired up with someone who is usually at a therapist level or an associate or fellow level, and they are going to have a lot of knowledge and experience to help you through your learning. So I think looking for programs that include that supervised practicum, I feel is really important. I couldn't agree more. So you're in the coursework, you have your coursework and that's great. You're learning uh, the theory, the principles, how to create your lesson plans and so forth, but you need to put the theory to practice. Yeah. And you need, and the only way you're going to really get into the nitty gritty of OG is if you get into a practicum and you're really practicing, but you're getting immediate, immediate corrective feedback. feedback. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yep. I mean, and that, and you will have the immediate corrective feedback in your brain for years and years. <laughs> That is so true. <laughs> so true. I can still hear Jane in my head from years and years and years ago. That was one of my first supervisors. God bless her. That is so and true. So we really recommend seeking out a training uh, organization association that offers a supervised practicum. I mean, this really is, I mean, aside from it being like a, an amazing training, this is a huge investment. Uh, not only in your professional career, but also uh, financially. So why wouldn't you want to choose something where you really get the, the best bang for your buck, I, I say. So that's yeah. something to consider. The other thing you want to consider, and Casey and I mentioned this, this is so important. Um, what are your goals? If you are just going to plan to stick with classroom teaching, but you want to learn the principles of Wharton Gillingham and how you can use that in the classroom, that direction of training may not be as deep and involved as if the work that Casey and I do in private intervention, one-on-one -on -one or in small group. We have years and years of training and because this is specifically what we deal with. Um, whereas with the classroom teacher, you, you might be teaching all the subjects, and but you really want to know specifically how to teach children to successfully learn how to read. So uh, there may there are levels of trainings right. that you can pursue. Correct. Yeah, and I think that's the important distinction is you know once you know your goals and that's going to help you determine what level, because there are different levels and the different levels require different levels of training, yep. different um, amounts and even different practicum hours. So yeah, kind of 
that's, I think that's where you need to start is looking at what are your goals and then seeking out and comparing the different opportunities that are out there that are going to align with your goals and, right, and right. thinking long-term. Cause I know a lot of times when I talk to people across the nation, they don't know that there are different levels and they don't necessarily know what those different levels mean. A so, lot of people don't know that. It's a very good point. Yes. And I know this particular person that, that sent this email did say that eventually they would like to, I think, transition into a private tutoring business. So is, as if I were to give this person advice directly, like on the phone today, if they're looking to transition like out of the classroom of K-1 teaching, whatever, and specifically have a private tutoring business, then you would want to lean more towards a training that offered a practicum. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and seeking that higher level yes. um, that is out there. Yeah. Right. And, and right. we can maybe talk about those levels yeah. and distinctions later. Cause I know oh, it's yeah. confusing, especially like if you were to look at Emily and my, our names, we have a lot of different letters behind them that, <laughs> that you know, outside of our world probably don't mean. I know <laughs> we got all these letters after our names, like, okay, what does all this mean? But yeah, right. we'd be happy to talk about People that. don't know what, what they stand for. Right. So, right. Uh, it is a small, a small world once you get into the Orton-Gillingham world, but you know, each of those trainings mean different levels of training applications. So I think Absolutely. kind of that big piece to look at. And thank you so much to that person who wrote into us. And we hope that uh, was helpful in guiding your decision-making. Uh, and certainly if any of you would like to write to us, we'd love to hear from you. The email address is support at togetherinliteracy.com and be sure to check out our website. We have our show notes there, our blog posts, and that is www.togetherinliteracy.com. And Casey, thank you so much. And thank you to all of you for listening. Uh, be sure to leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you and we'll see you next time. Bye everybody. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.